The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for this Unity Partner Program. Unity Online Radio partners with spiritual leaders from organizations whose mission and messages complement Unity's. We are pleased to bring you this program on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Main Street Vegan with host Victoria Moran. Victoria is an author, inspirational speaker, and a certified holistic health counselor and vegan lifestyle coach. She's here to entertain, educate, and inspire you on your journey to look and feel amazing, eat extraordinary food, help animals, and create a physical body perfectly attuned to spiritual growth. Now, let's get this party started. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Hey everybody and welcome to Main Street Vegan. I'm Victoria Moran and so happy to be your host and sharing this hour with you. I'm going to be talking today with two absolutely lovely women and I hope that you will grow to love them as much as I do. After the first break, we'll be bringing on Jenna Hamshaw, Choosing Raw. Choosing Raw is her brand new book, ChoosingRaw.com, very popular blog. But right now in our appetizer segment, I have the great pleasure of introducing you to the sort of author that we don't get that often and this is a fiction author. We're going to be talking with Carol Treacy, and her book is called Vegan Cowboy. She was born and raised in Southern California, sold print advertising for over 30 years, but it was never gratifying. So she decided to write a novel exposing factory farming in a story about a vegan woman who, in her late 50s, finally decides to follow her intuition. Welcome, Carol. Thank you, Victoria. It's great being on your show. Well, it's wonderful to hear from you, and I am thrilled that you wrote a book that is also a love story about a woman of a certain age. We need more of those. So why did you decide to write a book at the age of 58? Well, for I think since I was 34, 35, I had been writing screenplays. I love the genre. I love movies, and... I really enjoy writing dialogue. It seemed to be a, a really nice format for my my brain to follow, and I, I loved it. But I discovered after writing four-and-a-half screenplays that living in Northern California, especially at my age, I didn't have the, the passion to go down to Hollywood and try and find an agent and try and get a, a movie, a screenplay sold and produced. So... A couple of people urged me to write a book, and after being nudged into it for a few years, I decided to do it. And my main focus was trying to tell people about the choices that they, the food choices that they make, and if they choose to eat meat and dairy, then they should know where that food is coming from. But I wanted to couch it in a, in a love story and also about a woman who, in her late 50s, is very happy living by herself, truly happy, divorced twice, has a child, and really didn't expect to find a man who fulfilled a lot of the 
qualities that she wanted in a man, and one of them being a vegan. Yeah, especially a vegan cowboy. Some people would say that's an oxymoron. So is there a real <laughs> vegan cowboy in your life? Well, no, not yet. It's a, He's always been my ideal man because when I first moved to Petaluma, there weren't very many radio stations that I could get, and one of them was a country station. And I absolutely fell in love with country music, and then, of course, the country music uh the men have these this wonderful southern accent, and the way they dress, I have to say, I find very, very sexy. So what better than a, a cowboy who is compassionate and, and doesn't eat meat? And so the, the vegan cowboy in the story was a third-generation cattle rancher, and after having an awakening, a spiritual awakening, if you will, he converts his ranch into an animal sanctuary along with his oh. daughter. And, and that's when uh, Ray meets him through, uh, through a life-changing event. Whoa, that's so exciting. I'm loving all of this for so many reasons. First, I'm thinking that you just created a younger Howard Lyman, both for your <laughs> book and, and perhaps also for your life and maybe for all the other wonderful se- uh, single vegan women who are, are looking for their own vegan cowboy. I, too, love country music. And my husband, I mean, he's written a stage musical about uh, D. Ford Bailey, who was in the Grand Ole Opry in its early days. So we totally got you there with the country music. There's not much of it in New York City. But another Mm. vegan who really likes country music is Matthew, uh, I'm sorry, Michael Parrish Dudell. And Michael Dudell, longtime vegan, he's got Pythagorean tattooed on his arm. He's now doing all kinds of business stuff, wrote the Shark Tank TV show's business book. But he's a vegan who likes country music, so maybe we should have a Facebook page or something. I think so. (laughs) Well, it's wonderful. There's so many vegans, so we don't have to fit some kind of a stereotype. I know Neil Barnard always says, just because you become vegan doesn't mean you have to listen to folk music. So That's right. (laughs) That's right. And wear hippie beads and Birkenstocks. Exactly, and I don't think Birkenstocks stopped using leather for a very long time. I think the whole vegan Birkenstock thing was always odd. Yeah. So we're we're talking with Carol Treacy, author of Vegan Cowboy. You can get that on Amazon. Just go to Amazon.com and and type in Vegan Cowboy, and you'll find this lovely book, beautiful, beautiful cover. Now, Carol, you talked a lot about intuition in your book. Have you followed yours? Well, I'm trying. I'm trying to more and more. That was another really big theme that I wanted to get across, especially as I'm approaching 60. I want to follow my intuition. Unfortunately, through my childhood and young adult years, I really didn't because I wasn't taught that that's what you should do. I never... I was never told that you should go with your gut reaction because many of my gut reactions would have, if I followed them, would have taken me in a completely different direction. But now I am. Just writing this book has pointed me in a completely different direction. It's If it's not financially fulfilling, I'll deal with it. I'm writing another book right now, and that's what I want to do. And I hope that I hope that the book will, one, introduce people to veganism in a, in a real palatable way, and it will also reassure people that if you do follow your intuition, if you, if you feel something is not right, don't follow that. If something feels right, go with it. And it's very difficult because our culture doesn't teach that at all. We follow our, our libido, and it's gotten me in a lot of trouble. So I'm, <laughs> I'm trying to, 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 re, to point it in a different direction, and yeah. if I feel good about something, then I'm going to follow it. And writing the book felt really right. 
Well, that's wonderful. And I do think that you'll reach an audience that that might not read a, a regular vegan book, How to Be a Vegan, but this idea of vegan cowboy. I love it. It's a little bit like Main Street Vegan. I remember the, the publisher didn't want me to call it Main Street Vegan, and it was actually Michael Moore, the filmmaker, who said, no, this is a perfect title because people think – Whole Food Street Vegan or Hippie Street Vegan. And so I think when we have these kind of different juxtapositions, it it helps draw some people in. So very quickly here, Carol, in our last short minute, what led you to be a vegetarian and then a vegan? What's it doing in your life? Well, it was kind of a one-two punch. About, let's see, 26 years ago, I picked up the book Animal Liberation by Peter Singer, and it completely opened my eyes to how humans treat animals in entertainment, in food, in experimentation, every from A to Z, what we do to to exploit animals. That opened my eyes. Then I read Diet for a New America by John Robbins, and that's when I became a strict vegetarian. It uh, and and the guilt that I felt was for eating animals for all these years was so overwhelming um, that it just it just it was an explosion really because I had no idea and of course according to friends and family I got in a soapbox I wanted everyone to stop eating meat and I really had to back off because I was isolating people so yeah. I've well, learned to sometimes find different ways. <laughs> I think as you move past the guilt, you step down from the soapbox. I think that's what happens for a lot of people. Well, Carol, you're absolutely delightful. The book is Vegan Cowboy. You can find it on Amazon. I wish you all the success in the world. Please stay in touch. Everybody else, stay with us. And after these messages, we will be back with Jenna Hamshaw, Choosing Raw. Thank you. Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever. Simply text Unity Radio to 72727 from your smartphone. You can make a one-time or recurring donation. Your gifts help us offer enriching spiritual programs that reach listeners around the world. Text Unity Radio to 72727. Thank you for your support. What if you could experience vibrant health, help heal the planet, and be a great friend to God's animal kingdom through simple choices you make at breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Authors Victoria and Adair Moran say you can do this easily, affordably, and deliciously in their new book, Main Street Vegan. Everything you need to know to eat healthfully and live compassionately in a real world. Loaded with practical tips, straightforward information, and fabulous recipes, Main Street Vegan will help you on your journey toward a plant-based diet. The perks include more energy, an easy way to keep your weight where you want it, feeling younger as you grow older, and maybe even a boost to your spiritual life. Purchase Main Street Vegan from BN.com, Amazon.com, or your favorite bookseller. Are you ready to live in joy? Is there an area of your life where you could use a miracle? Have you been praying for help and guidance? Come join Lisa and Bill and their guests for an hour filled with practical tips on experiencing miracles, greater abundance, focused, deliberate living, and the peace of God that passeth all understanding. Experience more joy in life. Listen to Living in Joy, Reflections on a Course in Miracles with Lisa Natoli and Bill Free every Friday at 2 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
You're listening to Main Street Vegan with Victoria Moran. If you have questions or comments about today's topic or any other area of interest, we invite you to follow Victoria underscore Moran on Twitter or email her at MainStreetVegan at UnityOnlineRadio.org. Now, back to Main Street Vegan. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Main Street Vegan. Oh, I'm so excited about bringing on our next guest. I actually met her because she was my teacher. I took a certification program for holistic health counseling uh, through OM Wellness, which no longer exists. But while it did, I was able to make some amazing connections, one being with Jenna Hamshaw. Jenna Hamshaw, CCN, a former book editor turned clinical nutritionist, has written for Veg News, O Magazine, Whole Living Daily, Food 52, and other publications. You can find her online at choosingraw.com, her Twitter is at Choosing Raw, and her new book, which is absolutely glorious, I mean, seriously magical, I know that in perhaps only weeks, this book is going to be absolutely full of food debris, because I'm using it so much to make glorious meals, and it is called Choosing Raw, Making Raw Foods Part of the Way You Eat. Welcome, Jenna Hampshaw. Thank you, Victoria. It's so fantastic to be here. Well, it is wonderful to have you. You're just somebody that I admire so much because you're so sane and you're so balanced. And I love in the book how you call yourself a raw enthusiast because I've called myself that. How do you define it? Yeah, I mean, I think that term came about because none of the other ways of describing the way I treat raw food really fit my lifestyle um, in a way that felt appropriate. You know, I think when you say raw foodist, people assume that you're eating 90% raw food or more than that. Um, And when you say you're high raw, I think people think that you're eating, you know, 75% raw. There are all these complicated percentages attached, attached to it. And I just, none of them really fit my life. I eat a lot of raw food, but I... I certainly don't pay attention to how much of my diet is raw, and when I want cooked food, I eat it. I and I also don't really, I don't really approach my diet from the premise of raw food is better than cooked food. So I couldn't really figure out how to describe my relationship with raw foods to people. And finally, I realized that I, I love raw food the way some people appreciate French cuisine and some people appreciate Middle Eastern cuisine. You know, it's a culinary love affair that I have with raw food. I love the techniques. I love the dishes. I love the meals. Um, And I think I also just appreciate the way I feel when I eat them. So there's certainly, you know, I, I certainly have appreciated some of what raw food has brought into my life in terms of health benefits, but mostly it's just an admiration of the of the food itself. Well, it's such a wonderful, clean way to eat. Mm-hmm. And in the summer, my husband and I eat mostly raw. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, the first cold breeze of winter, <laughs> I start making chili and soup and oatmeal again. But it's so easy. And I discovered this last week when we had the Main Street Vegan Academy and I was making meals for 18 people every day. And when they were mostly raw, everything was so much easier. The cleanup just... It it makes life uh, lovely. Yeah. It's sort of funny that I think a lot of people, when they hear the words raw food, actually think the opposite. They think it's really complicated and they think it's really time-consuming. And, of course, it can be that way. I'm sure we all have a raw food cookbook. You know, anyone who's been into raw foods for a while has some cookbook where the recipes take like three days to make because you're using your dehydrator and you're sprouting everything. But that's never been the kind of raw food that I ate. I mean, I just – if I want – if I want beans or grains, I'm just going to boil them and it's fine. So I don't really devote a lot of time to sprouting anything in my apartment. And to me, the best kind of raw food is really the most basic and simple. It's chopped salads, it's slaws, it's blended soups, it's smoothies, wonderful salad dressings, um, you know, cauliflower, rice, zucchini, pasta. All of these are really accessible dishes that you can make without too much fuss. And they can be so much faster and easier than, you know, simmering things and baking things and sautéing things. So I think when it's really, I think when you focus on simplicity, raw food can actually be the most intuitive, easy way to eat, um, which is not how a lot of people think about it. Yeah, well, that's my experience, certainly. Now, you use the word accessible, and I think a word that often comes up around raw is expensive. In fact, Mm -hmm. one of my favorite lines was a friend back in Kansas City, not vegetarian, but a 
foodie. Mm-hmm. Just she loves all kinds of food. She has a degree in home economics, and so at, in part of her culinary exploration, she was exploring raw food. And she said to me in this perfect deadpan, "I made a raw pie once. It cost forty-seven dollars." <laughs> So what do you do about the cost? I think the cost, I think the, the reason for that cost is twofold. I think the first is that nuts and seeds can be expensive. And I always tell people, you just have to comparison shop for those things. Find, find a health food store with a bulk bin section that has good deals on, on nuts and dried fruit. Um, because it's definitely possible to find that. Go online, check out websites, see if you can find a deal on Amazon where you get two bags of pitted dates for a really good price. Um, it, it can be hard to find nuts and dried fruit and seeds that are, that are not too costly, but it can definitely be done if you're willing to like put a little lead work into it. And then you can order in bulk, and it ends up being pretty cost-effective if you do that. I think the reason that a lot of people, though think that raw foods are very expensive, is this whole culture of superfoods. You know, these exotic powders from, like, the depths of the Amazon that we're supposed to put in our smoothies and they're going to make us live forever, and all of these exotic ground-up berries. Um, And, you know, I think the health claims behind those foods are very dubious to begin with. I think they're probably high in antioxidants, but it's also equally effective to eat a cup of blueberries if you want some antioxidants in your diet. And I think that the superfood culture has really made raw foods seem inaccessible to a lot of people because you do sometimes see these raw food recipes for a smoothie that if you added up the cacao and the lacuma and the maki and the maca and all the ingredients, it would cost you like $30 to make. And as much as I think it's fine, you know, Anyone who loves food is allowed to indulge in whatever specialty ingredients they like. For some people, it's really expensive olive oil. And for some people, it is a superfood berry. But I don't think that those foods are necessary for enjoying a raw food lifestyle. And I think that that's the distinction people have to remember. Like any other way of eating, raw foods can be expensive, but they don't have to be. Well, you used another phrase that I am just going to have to ask you about, and that is olive oil. Mm-hmm. I just had Dr. Esselstyn on my show mm-hmm. two weeks ago, and he's so lovely. He, he is. almost convinced me on the olive oil, but I'm Italian, and I think it's going to take an act of God to convince me on the olive oil. And then I was reading your lovely book, and I saw one of, no, not one of, I saw the best paragraph on why some oil might actually be a good thing written by you that I think I've ever read. Can you paraphrase that and and tell our listeners your take on olive oil? I'm so delighted that you feel that way about that paragraph. Yeah, this is something that I've actually come to feel very strongly about, only because I think the issue of oil has become a really hot topic in the vegan community, and it's almost become divisive in ways that I don't think it should be. You know, we're all basically fighting for the same things in this community. So, um, you know, I can answer the question from, I think the most effective way to answer the question is from a nutrition standpoint. And as a student of nutrition, I've seen no evidence whatsoever that olive oil in moderation is bad for health. And in fact, I think there are actually some health advantages. It has analgesic properties. It has polyphenols that are healthy. And I think that the way we make determinations about in the world of nutrition science is not based on a single study. Because as we all know, you can find one study out there to prove any claim about nutrition you could ever want to prove. The way we make determinations, the way we make our best guesses about what's healthy and what's not, is by looking at a robust body of evidence that has accumulated over time. There have been studies suggesting that people who eliminated olive oil from their diets um, experienced tremendous health benefits, especially people who are fighting chronic disease. But I think it's important to note that very often, and in pretty much all those studies, people were going from mainstream diets to whole foods vegan diets that also excluded olive oil. I think it's very hard to determine how much of it was the oil itself, first of all. Second of all, a lot of those studies had very small sample sizes. And in the world of nutrition science, that's not the best way to draw conclusions. Small sample sizes are really problematic for a lot of reasons. Sometimes you have a self-selecting population of participants. Sometimes, you know, sometimes the results are just skewed because the sample size wasn't big enough. It's basic statistics. If you look at most of the evidence out there for olive oil, it really does come down in favor of the Mediterranean diet. In long-term population studies, it seems that people who include polyunsaturated fats 
do really well and experience better rates of chronic disease than other populations. And I think that that's what we have to pay attention to. You know, say what you will, the Mediterranean diet still has the most weight of evidence behind it. And of course, as a as someone who believes in veganism, I do a vegan approach to the Mediterranean diet, but that means including some olive oil. And I think the other important thing to remember is that it doesn't take a lot of olive oil to make food delicious. The great thing about oils is that the difference between an oil-free salad and a salad with a little bit of oil is immense. And that could be the difference that persuades someone who's not vegan to consider the diet if the food tastes that good. But you don't need to use glugs and glugs and glugs of oil to get that effect. So I'm a huge fan of the ingredient, not only because I think it's promising from a health perspective, but also because I think it makes the food taste really good and you don't need to use a lot of it. Well, I love how you said glugs and glugs. Um, (laughs) I really like housewares. I said to my husband today, wouldn't it be fun this evening if we take our dog Forbes and go to Bed Bath & Beyond? And he looked at me like, you have the (laughs) oddest idea of fun. But I I do think As someone who just moved and had to spend a whole week going to Bed Bath & Beyond, I'm having a hard time imagining it being fun. Oh, but, well, that's true. You're in moving syndrome. But yeah, I yeah. think when it's not a necessity. Yeah, six months from fun. now, it would be fun, especially <laughs> if you have a dog and they get to ride in the little lined yes. uh, doggy carts. But the last time I was there, I got a little thing that is an olive oil non-glugger. It's a thing that literally drizzles it out by that's drips right. and dribs. Yeah. And you know, on some wonderful bread, have you discovered Happy Campers Gluten-Free? No, I'm not a gluten-free eater, so I haven't explored, but well, that's most, great to know. Whenever I do the academy, we always keep it gluten-free mm-hmm. because there's usually at least one person mm-hmm. who is. But most of the gluten-free breads and things like that are just awful. Yeah, or they aren't vegan. I mean, yeah, the biggest brand is Udi's, and it's, yeah, egg whites. Well, this is vegan, and it's actually made out of ground-up seeds and things. I mean, it's really, really good. And to have that, you have to order it online. They're a tiny little company in the Portland, Oregon area. But you can just go online, Happy Campers Gluten-Free, and it's actually tasty. But with a few drops out of my olive oil dripper. Yum. Mmm, fantastic. It's good stuff. It is good stuff. And these recipes are such good stuff. I've made the granola. I'm so glad. Which which was just absolutely heavenly, and I'm so excited to get into some of these other things. So you've got 15 essentials here. So what's essential in the diet of a raw enthusiast? So, I yeah, these were kind of what I consider to be the greatest hits of the raw food world. It's things like homemade almond milk, a simple green smoothie, um, zucchini pasta with raw marinara sauce. Uh, cashew cheese. These are the recipes that I learned to make as I was getting into raw food. And it seemed to me that they were sort of the recipes that would pop up again and again and again in raw food books and websites. And I think they're all very useful recipes. You know, with with a good kale salad recipe, for example, I have sort of a basic massaged kale salad. With a recipe like that, you can do so many things. You can modify it kind of endlessly. If you can master just making regular zucchini pasta, then you can start using some really fun, complicated sauces to put on it. If you can master almond milk, then very soon you'll be able to make macadamia nut milk and cashew milk and chocolate milk and pumpkin spice milk. And, you know, what I sort of wanted to present was a bunch of really simple recipes that could be templates for people that they could build upon as they explore raw foods, maybe add a couple of their favorite seasonings, maybe add some flavors that they like. Um, and I also wanted to give sort of a range between breakfasty stuff and then kind of simple dinner staples. Well, breakfast, I think, is is really one of the places where this book absolutely shines. And oh, I told you, I've already done the granola. Because breakfast is hard. I think even as a vegan, sometimes people who are used to bacon and eggs mm-hmm. and that sort of thing don't really know what to have for breakfast. Oatmeal is fine, but for most people, right. it's not every day of your life. Right. And then you go raw, and especially if it's a time of year that you don't want to have a smoothie, what do you eat? Yeah, so, I, so that is eat? the question I get all the time. What are your cold weather raw food breakfasts? 
I will admit that I don't eat as many raw breakfasts in the winter months. I love oatmeal too, and I, I love sort of warm quinoa in the mornings. I like a lot of different grains on, on a good cold winter day. But I love chia pudding, and I think in some ways I prefer it to smoothies as a breakfast option. I, I'm someone who really likes to chew my food. So smoothies, while delightful, don't always do it for me, even if it's summertime. So chia pudding is great, and I will mix in all sorts of stuff. Sometimes it's dried fruit. Sometimes it's fresh fruit. I have a recipe for mango chia pudding in the book that has fresh chopped mango in it. Um, I'll sometimes do nuts or seeds on top of it. Sometimes I'll actually mix in a little bit of raw rolled oats and do a combination of oats and chia seeds and just soak them in homemade almond milk. And that can be a lovely hearty mix between something as dense and filling as oats and something that's a little bit lighter like chia. And then I sometimes do raw breads in the morning. Um, I didn't include too many dehydrator recipes in my book because I wanted to make clear to folks that I don't think you need a dehydrator to enjoy raw food, but they do come in handy if you start to be intrigued by raw breads and crackers. And sometimes I'll do one that's shredded carrots and shredded apple and flax meal and a little bit of pumpkin seeds. And I flavor it with salt and cinnamon. And I dehydrate that. And I'll do that with nut butter and some sliced apple in the winter. And that's really lovely and actually surprisingly filling um, because raw foods are so rich in all these healthy fats. I find that they satisfy me, even though they're sort of deceptively not filling looking sometimes. No, I find the same thing. In fact, I learned that before I was even vegan, Mm -hmm. when I was going out for Sunday brunch and having a cheese omelet and steak fries. And every Sunday, I didn't want lunch and I didn't really want dinner. And then it finally occurred to me, you had so much fat at breakfast, you don't need to eat till tomorrow. Now, obviously, that's not the kind of fat we want. But there is some satiety there. Absolutely. And I, I, I think that's really important. I think it's especially important for people who are doing more raw food, you know, people who are really hewing towards a primarily raw food diet, because you are missing some of the satiety that you get from things like a big old bowl of brown rice or a big old bowl of cooked beans, you know. And so the fats really serve an important purpose. I think, A, they're just they're healthy and good for our bodies and our brains, Um But I think that they also help to keep people full, which is important. Um, That is very important. I'm talking with Jenna Hamshaw, author of Choosing Raw, Making Raw Foods Part of the Way You Eat. And oh my goodness, if you look at this book, you will say, yeah, yeah, sign me up for that. (laughs) Uh, If you want to join this conversation, you can give us a call at 888-558-6489. Now, Jenna, you mentioned dehydrating. I've never taken the dehydrator plunge. Mm -hmm. Maybe after this we can go up to my apartment and you can see the size of my kitchen and tell me where on earth I would put one. But if you were a dehydrator salesperson, which I know you're not, what would you tell people? I would tell you you need to get an Excalibur because the thing is you can get one of those round sort of cheapo dehydrators and what you can do with those is you can make dried fruit slices, like you could chop up apples and put them in in the round units, which I think the sort of round dehydrators go for maybe 39 49 bucks on Amazon, right? Um, and you can make kale chips, which is, of course, lovely and important. Um, but you can't do much else. You can't spread anything onto trays in those machines. Um, you can't make crackers. You can't make anything that's really soppy or messy. So I really say if you're going to buy a dehydrator, you should get a better quality dehydrator because in the end, if you don't, you'll do what I did, which is that I spent the 50 bucks on the cheap round dehydrator thinking I could get away with it. And then I ended up having to invest in a better machine anyway. Um, They're really, they they eat up a lot of space. You have to be prepared for that. Um, But they do let you make really good snacks. And what I always tell people is that I don't count on them very much for my meals at all. I'm not the sort of person who sits around and makes a quiche in the dehydrator for, you know, 18 hours. That's just not, I'm not capable of that much patience. Um, But I've been a student on and off for five years now, um, a, a grad student. And what I found is that the dehydrator makes snacking such a delight because you can make wonderful kale chips. I've made chocolate kale chips, banana kale chips curry nail chip, kale chips, cheesy kale chips. Um, I made all sorts of flax crackers when I was a student. I would make all sorts of cool dehydrated zucchini chips. Um, There's actually a zucchini ranch chip in the book that I use a dehydrator for. 
So I think for the snacks, dehydrators can be really magical. Um, and they're a pretty low maintenance thing to use. I mean, you'd really just put something in them and let let the machine do its magic. So as intimidating as I think they are to folks, they're actually incredibly easy to use. There's no magic about it. Um, not essential, but fun. Well, you may be taking me over the edge. I know when I wrote Main Street Vegan, I said, I don't have a Vitamix. I get by fine in my plain old blender. Well, then Santa brought me a Vitamix. Mm-hmm. And now maybe Santa will bring a dehydrator, even though I've said in my new book, I'm not that raw. But maybe I'll get there. It's, it's very, very tempting. So, Jenna, just very quickly before we go to break, tell us your very, very favorite recipe in this book. Oh, that's so hard. Oh, my goodness. Um, let me think a little bit. Okay, dessert. Favorite dessert. Favorite dessert. The raw blueberry cheesecake. I don't even have to think that hard about that one. And what is in raw blueberry cheesecake? It's cashews and coconut oil and a little bit of sea salts and plenty of vanilla. And then there is, like, a wonderful blueberry sauce that you drizzle on top. Um, the cheesecake base is very versatile, and you could actually top it with anything. If you wanted to do, like, a raw chocolate ganache, that would be delicious, too. But I just decided that blueberries were sort of beautiful to look at, and I love them. Um, and I was proud of it. You know, I have to admit, a lot of raw foods enthusiasts are sort of dessert fiends. Like, they – and rightly so. Raw food desserts are incredible. I think they're often so much better than traditional desserts. Um, but I've never been a big dessert person, and so – and I'm, I'm – not that great at making them, to be honest. I'm a much better cook than I am pastry chef, raw or cooked. Um, So I was a little trepidatious about making the raw desserts for my book, especially since I know the bar has been set so high. If you look at most raw cookbooks, the desserts are spectacular. And so when I made the cheesecake and I had my first bite, I thought to myself, I feel very proud of this creation. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. You passed the cheesecake test. We will be back after these messages with more with Jenna Hemshaw and Choosing Raw. Stay with us. Hello, listeners. Did you know we've gone mobile? That's right. Your favorite Unity online radio programs are available on your mobile device. Now you can take us with you wherever you go. Using apps from Live 365 or Stitcher, you can listen to Unity Online Radio live or on demand. To learn more, visit Unity Online Radio and click on Mobile Listening. We know that God is the source of our prosperity, but how do we manifest it in our lives? We simply change our limiting patterns around money, relationships, and health. Then, naturally, our vitality goes up, and so does our cash flow. We start to live with purpose, sharing our unique ability. Join us on Prosperity Power Hour every Monday at 1 p.m. Central Time to claim your divine inheritance. Prosperity for all. Only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Thank you for tuning in for Main Street Vegan. Here is your host, Victoria Moran. Welcome back, everybody. I am here on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. So happy to have you as part of the Main Street Vegan Show this hour. I am here with Jenna Hamshaw and her book, which is absolutely beautiful, largely beautiful because of Hannah Kaminsky's amazing food photography, Choosing Raw, Making Raw Foods Part of the Way You Eat. Now, this is a cookbook, but this is a book book. I had so much trouble in the bibliography section of my new book dividing what's a cookbook and what's a book because in in this world, there's so much about nutrition and ethics and all sorts of things that go into otherwise cookbooks. And yours, I think, more than most, this is really a nutrition guide as well as a cookbook. Yeah, I I really wanted to make this a resource for people. You know, I wanted... I wanted to give folks delicious food, but I also wanted to empower them with just some basic groundwork knowledge of plant-based diets and how they work and what you need to be mindful of. And um, 
I wanted to create the kind of resource that in some ways I wish I had had when I got into raw food, which was a resource that was full of enticing raw recipes, but also a lot of credible, solid information that I could rely on. And I didn't necessarily feel that a lot of those resources existed, you know, when I got into raw foods back in the day. So you have a chapter, chapter six is called Myths and Misconceptions. And oh my gosh, I look at all these bullet points and it's like, we have a lot of misconceptions going on. What are some of these? Well, one of them, I mean, a couple of them are similar to the thing we just talked about, which was like raw food diets are always expensive or vegan diets are always expensive. You know, I wanted to correct, I think, a lot of people's ideas about eating raw and vegan food. You know, one of them is that vegan diets are too much of a hassle. You'll never be able to eat out again. You won't be able to socialize. Um... The idea that vegans are all, you know, veganism is great and all, but you can't be an athlete. Like, it won't support an athletic lifestyle. The idea that, I'm trying to think of some other fun ones, um, you know, some some nutrition misconceptions. The idea that soy, for example, is not good for you. I address the oil question, like whether or not an oil-free vegan diet is the best vegan diet. Um, so it's a combination of sort of lifestyle misconceptions, I would say, like misconceptions about living vegan day to day, and also some nutrition nitty gritty, um, you know, everything from soy and oil to questions like, are, is there going to be too much oxalic acid if I put raw spinach in my smoothie? These are, these are questions that might sound a little bit like minutia, but they're the questions I've been asked consistently again and again and again over email since I started writing a health and wellness blog. It's very interesting that this is a book largely about raw food, and yet you vindicate soy. You even vindicate faux meats. Mm-hmm. And, and I agree with you. I don't eat faux meats mm-hmm. except if I'm at a banquet or something, and that's where they have them pretty much. But they're wonderful. They're great. I mean, my husband has just had a whole new lease on life, even though he's mostly raw at this point. But once he discovered that you could get chicken salad, tuna salad, and turkey salad, which I know you can also make raw, but you can just go to the store and buy them in a little package and put them on your crudités. He's just been a happier guy. Absolutely. They're great foods. They're fantastic. And I'm so happy they're there. I, I, I wouldn't say that I don't eat them. I eat that. I don't, I, I don't buy them all too often. Um, but I am really glad they're there. Whenever I eat them, I totally enjoy them. Like every time I have Gardein or one of those mm-hmm. like little sort of faux chicken salads, I'm delighted. I think they're super tasty. And more importantly, I think just to reassure folks that you don't necessarily have to cook every meal from scratch if you're vegan. You know, it's all well and good for us to talk about getting back into our kitchens and preparing food from scratch. And I will admit that one of the things raw foods really taught me to do is to prepare ingredients from the ground up to prepare things using whole foods ingredients, using, you know, making things from scratch. But not everyone is someone who loves the kitchen and not everyone wants to cook all the time. And that's okay. You're not a bad person if you don't want to prepare everything you eat from scratch or, you know, be a domestic god or goddess. So the fact that now as a vegan, you can just walk into mainstream grocery stores and restaurants and delis and have accessible options, that is a win, in my opinion. That is a fantastic development. And I would also note that just from a health perspective, a lot of these products are getting a lot more healthful as the years go by. You know, if you look at the side of a package of Fieldro sausage or a Sunshine Burger, you know, or, or some of the Beyond Meat products, Meat Meat, which is this new faux meat that's made of legumes and nuts, a lot of them are really helpful. And so I don't even think you have to choose between a so-called healthy food and something that also can help to curb some of our desire for traditional favorites that we miss a little bit when we make the transition. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. And some of these companies like Tofurky, they share our cause. They share our passion. And I have to say, having gone vegan before there was a tofurkey Mm -hmm. or a field roast or anything like that to go in the middle of the table, a tofurkey is such a giant treat compared to those lentil loaves that I used to make. And I mean, even not compared. It's just a a wonderful product and they're wonderful folks out there. So I love that you are are being a myth buster, as they say. So how about this one? Being vegan is just too hard for the average person. 
Well, Victoria, I must admit that when I wrote that myth and misconception, I thought back to Main Street Vegan a lot, um, which had inspired me so much when I read it for a lot of reasons, but especially because I think you drove home that veganism is for everyone. It's not for people in big cities necessarily. It's not for people of any particular class or age. Um, It is really, it can be for all of us. And I think when I address that myth, what I really wanted to say is it doesn't have to be hard. You can wake up in the morning and eat a bowl of oatmeal or some toast with some peanut butter and banana on it. And then you can go to work and you can go to the little salad place around the corner or the deli and you can pick up a hummus sandwich on whole wheat bread or you can get a tossed salad um, with some olive oil and lemon. And then for a snack, you can have a little trail bar um, or a Lara bar, which is one of my favorite one of my favorites, or a Pure Bar, also a great brand. They make raw food snack bars. And then you can come home at night and you could make some whole wheat pasta with red sauce if you wanted. Or if you're feeling ambitious, you can make some delightful raw lasagna and you can experience something like that. But, raw, you know, vegan foods are really within everyone's reach. And I, I think you've been a tremendous inspiration to me as I try to embrace that point and share it with others. And I think it's such an important important point to get across. Oh, well, that's very kind of you to say. And you've reminded me that I do want to let everybody know what is on the MainStreetVegan.net blog this week. It's MainStreetVegan.net slash blog. It's written by vegan lifestyle coach and educator Julie Sirago, and it's called Welcome Home. So if you have ever lapsed, if you have ever left the vegan fold, or maybe you are out there now, you know what? Welcome home. And her point is what you just said, we're born vegan. We really gravitate towards kindness and, and towards loving animals and towards wanting to have some fruit. And so if we're not practicing that or we haven't always practiced it consistently from day one, that's okay. Welcome home. So check that out. I love on that. How beautiful. Yeah. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's wonderful to, to get to see what um, everybody posts. And, I mean, your blog. I mean, you are super blogger. Anybody <laughs> who is not familiar with choosingraw.com, it's, it's really sensational. You, as far as I know, blogged about one of the first raw vegan cheeses that I made, and it's sensational. Is it in this book? The cashew cheese, the cashew pizza cheese. Yeah. Is that the one? Yeah, because I know you kindly feature that in Main Street Vegan. It's not in this one. I think I put my regular cashew cheese in this. The, oh, so the pizza a, cheese is on the blog, though. Um, you have a cheese buffet. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, and again, cashew cheese, like so many wonderful raw recipes, it's a template. If you make a batch of regular cashew cheese, you can put fresh herbs in it. To make the Italian-style one that you're referring to, you just put some chopped sun-dried tomatoes, um, maybe a little bit of oregano or basil. But cashew cheese is just one of those things. It's You can flavor it however you want. It's so versatile. And I think a lot of raw recipes work that way. So I know, Jenna, that you're trained as a nutritionist. Are you trained as a chef, or did you teach yourself all this? Oh, no. I, I didn't grow up cooking at all. I, I mean... My mom, bless her, had two jobs when I was growing up, single mom, and so we ate a lot of takeout. And, of course, we cooked some when I was home, but I wouldn't say it was a family where, like some families, where everything revolved around being in the kitchen and preparing things from scratch. And then I struggled with an eating disorder growing up, had very little interest in learning how to cook because of that. And so I found myself in my mid-20s pretty much exactly when I went vegan, not only diving into this whole new lifestyle, but also realizing that I barely knew how to make anything in the kitchen. I was totally useless. So as much as it, as much as food and cooking is such an enormous part of my life and my identity now, it's actually very recent. It's, it really has coincided almost entirely with being vegan, and it's also a development of the last seven years. <laughs> so it's, it's still new to me, and I'm still learning all the time. I definitely identify more as a home cook than a chef of any sort. Well, you do amazing recipes, amazing food. So let's talk a little bit about eating disorders. I know you come from that background. I come from that background. Mm-hmm. Mine kind of dipped into anorexia a little bit at one point. Mostly mine was just compulsive overeating and being obese. 
So tell me about how veganism juxtaposes with your eating disorder that you recovered from. Yeah, I think this is such a powerful topic because, you know, when I started blogging, I was very afraid to talk about my eating disorder history, not out of a sense of shame or um, wanting to protect my private life, but actually wanting to protect veganism. You know, some people consider veganism disordered eating to begin with, which is, of course, so wrong, but it's how a lot of people from the outside look at us. And I didn't want to reflect poorly on veganism by admitting that I had struggled so much with food in my life. But then what I started to realize was that there were a lot of vegans who came from that particular history and had actually found lasting peace and recovery and meaning with food through vegan diets. And I thought, whether this is controversial or not, we need to start talking about this. Because also by creating a community of people who have been through this interesting juxtaposition of plant-based diet and, and disordered eating we can maybe help folks who are struggling. I don't think there's ever one answer for disordered eating, and I'm not suggesting that veganism is the answer for anyone, but I think that it could be an answer for a lot of folks. Um, what I found was that eating disorders are so isolating, and you really retreat into such a small, narrow world where all of your thoughts revolve around calories and restriction, planning your meals, dieting, avoiding socializing, and when I became vegan, it was the first time I realized that my food choices extended so far beyond me and my plate and my little world. I recognized that my food choices had this enormous impact on the environment, on animals, on other human beings, um, that they were part of this huge web. And I think that that recognition both helped to draw me out of the isolation that my disorder had created. And I think it was also the first time I realized that by eating, I could do something good for the world. And I think when you've struggled with an eating disorder, food ha has often felt like such an ugly, guilty thing to you, such a dirty thing. And when I became vegan, I realized that food can be this avenue of doing really beautiful things in the world. And that completely helped to get me out of that dark space. And, you know... I always take it day by day. Recovery is a fluid process, but I have been fully recovered since going vegan, and I really credit that transition to my to my health now. Oh, that's that is so lovely, and I have a similar story. So I know we're not the only two. No. A couple of weeks ago, the guest on this show was Dr. Joel Kahn, uh, mm -hmm. America's Holistic Heart Doc. Yeah. Great show if you guys want to uh, look that up on the Unity site or on iTunes. But he also taught a class for Main Street Vegan Academy last week, and he went into a lot of detail about how much time online and how much attention the paleo diet is getting, and also physicians who aren't paleo quite, but they're kind of in, in that ilk. And I asked him, what do they say about ethical issues or about the environment? And he said, they don't. They don't. So it's like we really do have a very holistic option to offer people. And I know your story, thank you so much. You have contributed a, a brief version of that oh, to awesome. my next book, The Good Karma Diet. So I'm very honored that... Jenna Hemshaw will be in my new book. Thank you so very much. Oh, the honor is mine. Absolutely. Absolutely. So there's another disorder that I know that you struggled with in your young life. And a lot of young people are having this, even though I always thought of it growing up as, oh, this is what happens to old people. But it's these digestive issues, IBS and all these digestive disorders. So many people in their 20s and 30s are struggling. What's your take on all that? It's an epidemic. Um, you know, I never thought much of it because it just felt like the freakish thing that had happened to me. I was diagnosed with IBS and I was probably... 11, 12. I mean, I was really young and it was kind of chronic and bad when I was growing up. But by the time I was in my early twenties, I was, I was hospitalized a couple of times just for pain, pain management, um, and fear because I had no idea what was wrong with me. I, it really, after that struggle, I realized that it wasn't just me. It's so many young people, especially young women. And I've spent the last three years working as a nutritionist in a gastroenterology practice. And there I observed that this is so much more widespread than I even knew. Um, I think it's a combination of two things. It's digestive diseases like IBS, which are sort of chronic and mysterious, and no one really knows what's going on. But it seems that people's guts are just rebelling against something, whether that's 
diet or lifestyle stressors or a combination of all of those things. Um, and then it's autoimmune. So inflammatory bowel disease like Crohn's and colitis is also on the rise. And that is true of all autoimmune diseases right now. And they disproportionately affect women. I think it's almost twice as prevalent among women to have an autoimmune disease. And so, of course, a lot of autoimmune diseases affect the gut. Um, it's hard to say, but we do know that as with many chronic conditions, it's more in Western nations than not. Digestive diseases are not rampant in a lot of um, non-first world countries. And so I think diet clearly is playing a role. It's just hard, very hard to say what that precise role is. But we do know that gravitating towards fiber-rich foods, hydrating foods, plant foods, seems to benefit most people with digestive diseases dramatically. And you know, it's no surprise. So that's a very good that's a very good sign for those of us who are interested in the in the plant oriented way of eating. Well, it's wonderful. It's healing on a great many levels, and spending this hour with you has been healing on <laughs> I a great agree. many what levels. What a delightful conversation! The book is "Choosing Raw: Making Raw Foods Part of the Way You Eat" by Jenna Hamshaw. And you can find her online at choosingraw.com. You can follow her on Twitter at choosingraw. And I'm on Twitter at Victoria underscore Moran. Love Twitter. Do you love Twitter? I love Twitter. Although I have to say, I've become so obsessed with Instagram that it has been eclipsing Twitter in my energy lately. But Twitter is also great. Well, I don't remember to take pictures. So Instagram is something I have to say, oh, you're out to dinner. Your food is pretty. Take a picture. It's not this instant thing. You must be visual. I'm not, actually. My mother is an artist. She's a painter and an art teacher. And she's always given me quite a hard time about how non-visual I am. Like, she she claims that I never notice anything, and I never notice when anything's straight, or I never really see color patterns. And that's kind of true. I always lived in words and in my head. Um, But Instagram is teaching me to be more aesthetically oriented. Oh, this is lovely. So your Instagram is at Choosing Raw? It's at Choosing Raw. All my social media. Okay. And mine is at Main Street Vegan. I don't match anywhere except (laughs) maybe sometimes in my clothes. Thank you, Jenna. And thank you, listeners, so very much. God bless you. And eat your often raw veggies. Thank you for listening to Main Street Vegan. Join us every Wednesday at 2 p.m. Central Time as Victoria Moran entertains, educates, and inspires you on your vegan journey. This program is sponsored by Main Street Vegan. To learn more about Victoria or to explore training with Main Street Vegan Academy as a vegan lifestyle coach, go to www.mainstreetvegan.net. That's www.mainstreetvegan.net. From mayhem to miracle, from disaster to divine, Rants to Revelations Radio finds the opportunities for spiritual growth in everyday moments. Drawing from current headlines to pop culture, Reverend Ogan blurs the lines between the sacred and the profane, bringing meaning to the meaningless, with guests who are dedicated to transforming the world for good. Join Ogan live every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Central for Rants to Revelations Radio. Inspiration only takes a moment. Take a moment now to reflect on this message from Daily Word. Is something in your life causing you concern? Don't be discouraged. The presence of God is peace and harmony, healing and creative ideas, is with you every moment of every day, providing the help you need. In quiet moments of prayer, let go of any concern. Anchor your trust deep in the realization that with God all things are possible. Never doubt it for a single moment. You are a spiritual being, blessed with all that you need for happiness and fulfillment. God's wisdom will guide you. God's strength will help you do all that you need to do. And God's joy will lighten your heart with hope and courage. This meditative moment is brought to you by Unity. I will leave this world as it is. The world is full of voices, advertising, television, politics, 
colleagues, family, and friends. All are too happy to tell us how to live. In all of that noise, it's easy to miss the one voice that matters, your own soul. What would happen if you could hear that voice? Imagine the clarity, confidence, and courage that would be yours and the life you could create. Join Janet Connor, best-selling author of Writing Down Your Soul, The Lotus and the Lily, and Your Soul Wants Five Things, as she and her guests explore how to hear the call of the soul and create the soul-directed life. Live Thursday at 1 p.m. Central, only on Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Go inside to find Hey, it's Radley Valentine. Join me for a brand new way of connecting with your angels on my new podcast, The Angel Tarot Show. Each week, you'll meet your angelic guides and guardians and find new ways to unlock unconditional love, tune into your intuitive abilities, and create the joy-filled life that, well, you've always wanted. Plus, you'll get a useful and timely energetic weather report bringing you guidance for the coming week. Tap into the healing, hope, and guidance that's all around you on the Angel Tarot Show, exclusively on mindbodyspirit.fm.